0: Good morning. good morning, good morning. You hope it is so good to be with you here. Um, glad to be here with everyone. As uh, Andrew said, my name is Ashish. It's so good to be with you here. Uh, I've loved uh, just the story of your church and what God's been doing over the last couple of years. And so I just want to say I'm so grateful to be here and worshiping with you in person. Uh, I love Jason and Jothi. Uh Known Jason for a number of years, and so I've got. Uh, just a lot of respect for Jason and his. Uh, I'm so sorry. There's some stragglers here, uh, just wandering around, the lost sheep of my household, just uh, going around here. Uh, and so, uh, so it's it's just really it's just really it's really is an honor uh, to be here. Uh, I was a college pastor not too far from here at City College for a number of years, and my wife lived on 157th and uh, Broadway, and so I proposed on, on Riverside right by 157th on the coldest night of the year uh, on February 6th. And so we, so I just have a lot of great memories in this neighborhood, and a lot of God stories in this neighborhood, a lot of great, a uh, lot of, just, 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 just a lot of fondness for me uh, in this particular neighborhood. And I remember when uh, Diane and I were dating, Uh, you start to notice differences about who you are. You ever notice that when you're with somebody in a a, a context of a friendship or relationship? There's a mirror in terms of how different you are from the other person. And all of a sudden, you're like, wait, what do you mean you don't do things this way? Right? A friend challenges you or or something like that. I remember um, when uh, we were dating, Diane, one day, was like, hey, here's a gift for you. Here's a gift. And so I said, okay, you know, thank you for the gift. It's really sweet of you, babe. I really appreciate it. And she was like, next day, here's another gift. And I said, wow, two days in a row, this is incredible, thank you. Three days in a row, and by the fourth day, like, that's when I realized, like, I'm really not a gifts person. But she was in day five of day 30, so for 30 straight days, she was like, this is how our family of origin does, does gift giving. And so we want to, this is my way of sending a message of saying like, I love you, I appreciate you, you mean so much to me. So she gave me 30 days of gifts. But again, it wasn't until like day 27 that I was like convinced. I was like, yeah, like this is really sweet, but this is like not landing, you know, in terms of what she's sending. And she's not in the, she's not in here. So, you know, <laughs> I, have, I have a liberty to share this. Um, but I just remember like something about, so, so for me to receive gifts was like, something I had to learn and grow into. And there was something about gift giving. Anybody here love gifts, by the way? Like, I'm totally knocking on people here who love gifts. Nobody wants to raise their hand anymore (laughs) like I used to up until 90 seconds ago. But, uh, so gift giving. Anybody like giving gifts here? Okay, giving gifts? Okay, look at this. Okay, and you don't like getting gifts? No, wow. The other half of us (laughs) are like, uh, this side over here. So, Uh, Gift-giving is something because there's something that gifts convey, right? There's something that gifts say there's thoughtfulness behind a gift the thoughtfulness of what does this person mean to me and uh, How do I what kind of a message do I want to send them and what's my budget, right? Like some of these things all get factored into when you're giving somebody a particular kind of a gift and in our passage today Jesus is given a gift. He's actually given a dinner in John chapter 12 And so that's where we're going to be. And uh, I want to look at what kind of a dinner this is. We're actually going to be eating with Jesus, if you will, uh, you know, as he's having that dinner. But I want to give you just a quick backdrop to what's happening as we enter John chapter 12 and we kind of journey through this chapter. In John chapter 11, Jesus has a set of friends. He's got uh, one brother, two sisters, Lazarus, Mary, and Martha, right? They're siblings, and they live in Bethany, which is like the suburbs of Jerusalem. So just two miles out of Jerusalem, they live in Bethany. And so when Jesus would often go and live in Jerusalem, he never lived in like a hotel or anything. He would live with his best friends uh, in Bethany, and so he just commute, right, uh, in and out of Jerusalem you know, to, to Bethany. Uh, The word comes out in the beginning of chapter twelve that Lazarus is sick, and so he says, "Jesus, the one you love, one of your best friends, he's sick." And Jesus says, uh, "You know, I'll I'll get to it." And this keeps progressing. He finally dies, and then Jesus uh, decides to show up when he's been dead for four days already. He shows up at the house. Martha comes out running. He talks to Martha. Mary falls at his feet. He talks to mary and then he says let's and then he weeps right that powerful john eleven thirty five, 35 that powerful verse where jesus weeps and then he uh goes out and says let's let's go visit him uh tomb side graveside and so they go to the tomb There's the there's the huge roll. He says, roll it away. Everyone says, Jesus, this is going to really stink. Like, are you sure you want to do this? And Jesus says, absolutely. Moves the stone away. He looks at me. He says, Lazarus, come forth. And you see the dead man staggering out of the grave, out from the darkness, into the sunlight, into everyone gathered there. And then he says, unbind him and let him go. That's what happens. Right, four days of mourning in that home, this dead man who comes staggering out of the grave, and they throw, a, uh, they throw a dinner to celebrate Jesus, to say thank you, to appreciate Jesus. And so that's where we are right here. And this is also the final week of Jesus', Jesus life on earth. So John chapter 12 it says this, six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany again. It's a suburb where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served while Lazarus was among them reclining at the table uh, with him. And so I want to, this morning, more than like preaching, uh, what I want to do is I want to actually take you to this living room. Do you want to go to this living room with me? Some of you. Like, let's go to this living room together. So, um... A a first century Palestinian home was like an open concept home there was like the dining area over here The open concept kitchen if you will like right over here Um, You've got like a feeding trough and all of that right out there And so this is where everyone's sitting and so everyone's sitting not on a table like we would have a table So we have a table like that right four legs or so or you know And then it gets raised off of the ground and there's a table not so much in the time of Jesus So like so like da vinci's painting Of like 13 on one side you know jesus here and his 12 disciples like that's not how the first century worked in the first century the tables were actually u-shaped and so there would be in the living room like a u-shaped table and there was no raised table everybody would be on the floor so there were tons of pillows on the floor and so when you hear this you know this um comment this little thing that jesus that john says in in verse two that they were among those who were reclining at the table. So it's not a recliner, like in a, in a living room or something. It was literally him reclining uh, on a pillow. So everybody was like sideways sitting on the floor with tons of pillows to, you know, kind of soften, uh, soften your – get you comfortable on the floor. So even today in the Middle East, I grew up in Riyadh in Saudi Arabia, and, and restaurants will have – even today when you go to the Middle East, there are restaurants that will have – a traditional and a western side to to restaurants. And so you'll have a raised table with chairs like the ones you're sitting on on one side, and then there will be other sides where there's just like thick carpets, lots of pillows, and you can kind of sit this U-shaped style even today in the Middle East. And so we see here, so you've got the table. We're at the table together. At the head of the table is usually the one who is uh, the person of honor. So Jesus sitting over there. You see Lazarus to the side. You see Mary coming in with just, can you smell the food in the air? Do you? Do you smell the kebabs, you know, coming, wafting in, the kafta kebab with the pine nuts, do you smell it, right? Toasted nuts over the rice, I mean, the food is coming, pomegranates are, somehow found their way, you know, into all these foods, and you got all these things, I mean, I am hungry this morning, just thinking about what's coming in. So you've got all of that, and then, right, someone, someone's getting hungry here. Uh, and so um, and so you see Martha's over here you see uh, you see the whole town of Bethany you see the neighbors and everyone in this living room because you see when uh, when someone died in in the you know in the first country uh, context you didn't you didn't mourn alone your entire community your village would come around you and be a part of uh, the, the the mourning ceremony so all your neighbors who've cook for you and prepared and come come there to console you they're all in the living room and you think about it, just a couple of days ago you were here to comfort a, a you know a family who lost somebody but here you are at a, at a at a celebration together reclining next to Jesus and in the middle of the room you see Lazarus you see Lazarus once dead reclining next to Jesus soon to die you look at Lazarus days out of the tomb reclining next to Jesus days away from the tomb You look at Lazarus, three days in the grave, reclining next to Jesus, who too one day soon will be three days in the grave. Are you with me at this table? Are you with me in this living room? We keep looking around the table and we see Lazarus and we see Martha and we ask, where is Mary? And John says in verse 3, then Mary took a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. Mary took a pint of pure nard is what John tells us. It's an expensive perfume. This is like, there's no like cultural equivalent to like, you know, American culture and having our own expensive bottle, you know, like, like, like this thing has. Imagine like a sixty to like $100,000 perfume bottle. Where would you hide this thing? <laughs> like where New York, <laughs> you know? You know, would you have what kind of security would you need to uh, measure up for this, right? And think about this: if you had this kind of a bottle, where would you put it? How would you store it? Where would you transport it? What would you use it for? Would you use it for grocery shopping, <laughs> like a whiff, right? Now you 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 would think about: okay, is that, Am I going to something special? Is there a celebration? Is there you know? Are there p- who's in the room? You know who who do I want to notice, right? The 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 kind of uh, you know. This this expensive bottle I have going on, and then what would you do? You would take like a puff or two, right? Right. That's all you would. That's all you need, right? It's a it's a nice bottle. You would never break the bottle open. (laughs) And then pour it on anything, even Febreze. Two whiffs of that thing, right? And like the whole atmosphere changes. But here, what we see is Mary. Again. The other gospel tells us that she breaks the bottle. (laughs) Think about that. She breaks the bottle, and you pour it. And, you know, here John says that this is nard, which is a rare and it's a precious um, oil, if you will. Uh, It's either from either modern-day India or Saudi Arabia. And often what they would do is they would take the root of the plant, and then they would add to its weight. But John here tells us that this is pure nard, no additives. Right? Even with the additives, it still would have been so precious and worth, uh, worth a lot of money. But here it says this is pure stuff. So this is, uh, this is the kind of—so this is not just an expensive gift. This would be like a family inheritance. Now, I want you to catch the punch of this passage with me, which is that this is a single woman— in a, in a patriarchal culture who does not have a husband and has sixty dollars to $100,000 worth of pure nard. So this is a family inheritance. This is your 401K, if you will. And what she takes is she doesn't take a drip or two. She breaks this thing open and drenches Jesus with this. So much so that she begins to wipe the feet of Jesus with her hair with her hair. What's going on here? The other gospels tells us that it was they anoint his head and then they get to the feet. What's the idea here? She goes from head to toe, drenches Jesus entirely. Now I want you to think about this. U-shaped table over here. Jesus is here. Lazarus is reclining at the feet of Jesus. So if Mary had to wipe the feet of Jesus, she's not standing. She's on the floor. And depending on how, how long your hair is, She's at the feet of Jesus, looking sideways, after drenching him and completely anointing him in oil, then takes her hair, like, think about this with us, takes this hair and starts to wipe the feet of Jesus. How low do you have to go? How much do you have to humble yourself to be at the feet of Jesus, wiping his feet away while everyone in town is there? Right? While everyone is, is looking at her, what happens? Are you still at this dinner party? Do you feel the scandal in the room, right? For she, when she has to get that close to somebody that she's not married to, for her to expose, even today in the Middle East, it's, it's just, you know, especially among like, our Muslim friends, you know, and Arab Muslims, like they just would not take your hair out unless it's for your husband. And so, for, in that cultural context, for her to not just take her hair out, but to wipe the feet of Jesus, I mean, this is like scandalous. Like the sting of this would stay with the family for a long time. And think about this. This house all of a sudden begins to take on a different fragrance. Now, just just feel the impact of that for a second. The very house that smelled like death a couple of days ago is now filled with the fragrance of life. The very people that were there to mourn along with them is there to feast along with them. And and Mary says something different than the rest of them about who Jesus is. They already have thrown a party in Jesus' honor. They've already given them a gift. They've already put him, right, in a seat of honor. The whole town is here. I mean, that's a pretty big, pretty thoughtful thing to give. And still Mary says it is not enough. And she cracks open her 401K and pours it all over Jesus. What is the, If gifts say something, what does this gift say about who Jesus is? You see, there's something different about the dinner being thrown for Jesus versus something different about what Mary sees about Jesus that she wants to respond to and she wants to honor publicly and vulnerably in front of everybody. What does she say about Jesus that he is worthy That he is worthy of glory and honor and praise. And he's worthy of my vulnerability. He's worthy of my financial future. He's worthy of my singleness. He's worthy of the big rocks of my life. He's worthy about the narrative and, and, and my reputation that I have with other people. She says, Jesus is so worthy that I can pour all of this at his feet. And you think about this, right? Even if you were to think about this financially, she's not like, Taking scooping the rest of the oil once that bottle is cracked open like there's no going back There's no like once you're done with it Can you return it? It's not like you know a gold watch that you're giving somebody and say hey, after you're done You know you're welcome to borrow it and you get it right back, right it you haven't you haven't lost the worth of it Once she's it's gone. It's an irretrievable gift that she gives Jesus and it's never to be poured back again would never realize that again And Mary says, Jesus is worth it. Is Jesus worth it? Is Jesus worth it? What is Jesus worth to you? What is Jesus worth to you? I'm going to come back to that. But right now, even in heaven, Revelation 4 pulls back the curtains of reality and tells us that even right now in heaven... The dimension of heaven, there's a song being sung among the angels about Jesus. And they too, they sing the song, worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. They too agree with the heart of Mary and sing the chorus that Jesus is worthy. But not everybody thinks Jesus is worthy. Verse 4, John tells us that well, one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. He says, why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It's worth a year's wages. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As keeper of the money, of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Jesus says in verse 7, leave her alone, Jesus says. It was intended that she should save this for, uh, save this perfume for the day of my burial, you will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. I want to say a quick note about the poor that Jesus says here, is that Jesus, when we look at the witness of the Gospels, we see that Jesus blesses the poor, he heals, he feeds the poor. In Matthew 25, when he says, when there's that cosmic inventory that Jesus is going to do on that last day, and he says, I was hungry and you fed me. I was sick and you took care of me. I was naked and you clothed me. And The response to Jesus was, when did we see you, Lord? When did we see you hungry or sick or naked? And Jesus says, whatever you did to the least of these, you did for me, right? And so Jesus is not disparaging the poor. He identifies with the poor so much so that he says, whatever you do to the least of these, you do this to me, right? He's equating value in for for the for the a mercy that's extended to people that are struggling, so it's an essential part of our gospel witness to do for the least of these who are struggling, who don't have, uh, who don't have what God wants them to have. So, but so what is Jesus saying here then? Jesus is saying that poverty will be a greater reality. But I'm only here for one more week, right? And and he sees through the deception of Judas's heart. Mary says, "Jesus, you are worth it." And pours it out, and Judas says, no, he's not. What a waste. And that's the contrast of this passage is Mary versus Judas. Mary versus Judas in this passage. And I just want to look look at both Mary and Judas for a second. Who is Mary? Mary is a friend of Jesus, right? We talk about the sibling trio, right, Martha, Lazarus, and Mary. Uh, friend of Jesus uh, there's not much about Mary written in the Gospels, but it's so interesting to me that there are three things, three times that whenever we see Mary in Scripture, she's always at the feet of Jesus. you notice that? If you're familiar with Scripture, have you noticed that? Jesus, Mary's always at the feet of Jesus. First is that we see Mary sitting at the feet of Jesus, and that's a – it's a rabbinical term, which means when you're – I mean, we even use it today in culture, right? I mean, you know, I'd, lo- I'd love to sit at your feet or I sat at the feet of – and you're being apprenticed by, you're being discipled under, you know, uh, a particular, someone with expertise or knowledge or a teacher of some kind. And so when, when Mary sits at the feet of Jesus, education in those days were really restricted for men. And so when she's sitting there and says, I too want to sit at the feet of Jesus and learn, and Martha says, hey, what are you doing with the boys like? Let's get you out of there. And Jesus says, leave her alone. That same phrase that she tells uh, Judas is what she tells Martha. So she sits at the feet of Jesus there. Another passage we see in in John 11 when Lazarus has died, Mary, uh, and he's like, Lord, where were you? Right? Martha protests. And Mary too says, Lord, if you were only here. And she falls at the feet of Jesus. And here in John 12, we see Mary falling at the feet of Jesus yet again. And there's something about humility and beautiful vulnerability that we see demonstrated in the heart of Mary. Mary doesn't have much words. Mary is not famous for things she said or, you know, uh, or, or, or those kind of moments. But we just see her in beautiful vulnerability and this like radical sense of love and abandon and devotion that we see Mary demonstrating here. So she's devoted to Jesus that he's worth more. Judas. Let's think about Judas for a second. If you're the treasurer of any organization, you're probably good with money. And so I I would like to think that you're probably good with money, right? And so we, we, we can guess for sure that. That's a pretty good guess about he's probably good with money. He probably, like the other disciples, had a follow me moment. Some point, some break in his life where he went from I'm doing my everyday thing to, like, I'm going to more intentionally, like, daily, I'm going to leave everything behind and follow after Jesus. This is going to be my full-time thing, is me caravanning with Jesus in all the villages and all the towns. So he had probably given up everything to go after Jesus, but somewhere along the way, and we don't have this, you know, we don't have this kind of recorded anywhere, but somewhere along the lines, it's part of my holy imagination here. Is like, man, I wonder if he lost his way at some point. I wonder if the disillusionment and the resentment set in at some point at a soul level. And that's the stuff that we can't put a finger on, can it? Even in our own lives, the disillusionment, it might start in seed format, but sometimes we might look away and we look back and there's a tree blooming right in the middle of our soul because of undealt with wounds or emotions or undealt with disappointments in our life that have all of a sudden ballooned. we don't know what's grown and what what uh, what transpired at a deep level in his life, but somewhere along the lines he loses his way, and things come to a breaking point in this passage. Now, I want you to just think about the punch of this passage. He offends Jesus and the hosts by making a comment about their hospitality. Imagine you went to someone's birthday party, go downtown, go somewhere to a birthday party and uh, everyone's sitting, you go, you go with, it's your, it's your, let's say it's your uh, best friend, right? And like you're, you're gonna, let's, let's go with best friend, for example, it's an analogy, it'll break down at some point, but let's say you're going with your best friend and they're going, they've got people from work, they've got, you know, like cousins or family members, you know, friends from other parts of life, and so everyone's, their whole network is here together, right, and let's say there's someone from work who's like, hey, I wanna throw a party for you, and you go to the party that they've thrown for your best friend, right? They go there, and imagine they're like, I want to give you something nice. Here's Bitcoin. No, I'm kidding. Here is <laughs> – it's trending down now. So, But it's uh <laughs> crypto, you know. So um, here's like a Rolex, for example, right? Here's a Rolex. This is like a $5,000 Rolex, and they give. Now, imagine you're at this birthday party, and you come in, and you're the best friend, you're like, whoa, this is nice. Like, this is a, I don't know if I would have spent all this money for you, but this is a nice spot, you know? Like, can you imagine – and then imagine, like in front of everybody, you know, you, that person from work comes. They've got the mic. They're like, I just want to say how much I appreciate you. You know, for this, this person right here, here's what I've got. Bring out the Rolex. And you're like, out loud. A Rolex? Like, out loud. Can you imagine? Bewilderment. And then imagine, and everyone's like laughing, you know, uh, not sure what's going to happen. And they take the Rolex and they put it on your best friend's hand. And imagine if you out loud were like, he's not worth it. Like, can you imagine the air in the room, gone? what was meant to be like the apex of the celebration, that moment of like, whoa, like, this is incredible, like, man, this is, wow, this person really thinks a lot about this person, and imagine you make this disparaging comment where, like, I'm sorry in front of everybody, but that's a waste of money, (laughs) right? Like, that's what happens here. Judas is in the 12 among Jesus. He's got 72. He's got tears through his ministry. And he's among his inner core. And he's with—he's one of the leaders, primary leaders in Jesus' ministry. And when Jesus is being honored, something in his soul had so ballooned that it did not stay within him. It popped right out. So all of that disappointment and disillusionment with Jesus comes popping out. He says he isn't worth it. And think about how he's not only offended Jesus, but he's also offended Mary. And think about the response of Jesus. Jesus doesn't personally take that and says, I'm sorry, what did you say about me? I know what's in your heart and starts to imagine like if you were Jesus and you knew everything about anyone, like what would you how would you even react to that? Would you take it personal? I'm sorry, what did you say about me? Right. And you, and you go back forth. But instead, what he does is that he defends Mary. He receives the devotion of Mary, but rejects the deception of Judas. He receives the devotion of Mary, but rejects the, the devotion, the deception, of Judas. Mary's devotion is outward, but Judas's deception is inward. It started and in some crack in his soul, and some crevice in his soul is where the seeds of disillusionment and disappointment starts to balloon. And before it, it, it began to grow into what it becomes. And Jesus says, leave her alone, leave her alone. And it's interesting, this is the very same word in the Greek that Jesus used in John 11. In John 11, when he comes to the tomb, right, gravesite at Lazarus, and when he says, Lazarus, come forth, and this dead man comes staggering out from the dark, and he's bound up, he says that same word, let him go, unbind him, he says. Don't tie him up, loosen him. And in that same way, he says that to his sister and says, don't tie up Mary to your expectations. To loosen this woman, let her go. He protects those who pureheartedly pours themselves out for him. So where do we see ourselves this morning? In, in, in light of what's happening here, right, the, 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 the shock, the, the horror, Jesus defending uh, Mary's devotion, receiving it, but rejecting the deception of Judas, what do we see ourselves? Do we see ourselves loving Jesus in worship? When we see other people loving Jesus and pouring themselves out and taking like radical, making radical decisions about their life towards Jesus, do we say, do we add logs to the fire and says, keep going, or are we like, are you sure about this? <laughs> Dude, is he really worth it? I mean, yeah. Like, is he really all that? Right? What does that reveal about our own perspective of Jesus? And devotion to Jesus here, it's interesting, doesn't give into to the anxiety of our age or anxiety or apathy or anger of our age. It chooses another path. It's not anxious because think about this for a second. Think about this if you're Mary. Mary is at the feet of Jesus. She's wiping her hair. And it's when she's wiping the, sorry, with her hair, she's wiping the feet of Jesus. And as she's wiping the feet of Jesus is when Judas makes that comment. So think about it. You're, like, caught in this middle place. I mean, like, can you imagine if you're wiping Jesus' feet and then that's when you're, like, is he worth it? What a waste, right, comes across from that room. Like, think about what. Think about that moment. How would you feel? Like how embarrassed would you be? I would be so embarrassed if I was at the foot of Jesus', at Jesus feet wiping my hair and then someone makes a disparaging comment in my own home. And if I'm going to be completely honest, there's a part of me that would have said, Jesus, hold on one second. I'm sorry, what did you say? And you know, hold on, I got it. You know, and then I just want to have a conversation. I just want to have a quick conversation with my buddy Judas. You know, let's, let's talk things out. But instead, what what does Mary do? Mary does not do that. You know what Mary does? She lets Jesus fight her battles. She's caught in this vulnerable place, embarrassed and ashamed in her own home, and yet she doesn't respond to the accusing voice in her life. She lets Jesus speak the better word and fight her battles and defend her. What would it look like when the anxiety rages on when the anger kicks into higher gear and it's heightened and whether internal words or external words are hurled against us for us to rest in jesus and for you to say jesus i've got nothing to say i'm gonna let you fight my battles (laughs) what would it look like for us to say even for us to be honest about jesus i just don't have enough capacity in my own soul to respond to the words that are being hurled against me. I, w- I want to give you, I'm going to let you fight my battles. What would it look like for us to take, for, for us to take, not to, to, to give into the criticism or to take that into or absorb it, but instead to be able to give that to Jesus? I want to be able to ask this question, um, uh, uh, you know, si- simple question here, which is, uh, you know, in um, 2 Corinthians nine fifteen. as I'm getting re- ready to wrap up, Think about these words of Paul as he's encountered Jesus. And as he's encountered Jesus, he's written so much in the New Testament around Jesus, but he says this phrase, which is uh, in 2 Corinthians 9.15, thanks be to God for his indescribable gift, right? Paul calls Jesus a gift. Thank you for the gift of Jesus. And Jesus, as we even celebrated Easter Uh, the reality is that Jesus is the gift that was prepared for you. And Paul calls him a gift. And so if gifts say something, what does it say about you that God has given Jesus as a gift for you? What is the heart of the Father as he thinks about, how thoughtful is the heart of the Father as he thinks about you and what you need and who you are for him to be able to give his very son, so that you and I might not perish but have eternal life. W- what what kind of a heart might have prompted such a gift towards you and I? And here's the invitation and the reflection for this morning. Here, here's, here's kind of my my now what, if you will. Which is to reflect on this question. The simple question, what is Jesus worth to you? What is Jesus worth to you? And as... Um, As we get ready to wrap up, for you to even think about the simple question, if you had to give Jesus a gift, what would you give Jesus? If you had to give Jesus a gift, what would you give him?